Welcome to All Your Favorite Music is Probably, where we take a theme dive into popular songs and unearth the connections like grave robbing. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, YouTuber, and sarcophagus enthusiast. Today's theme is All Your Favorite Music is Probably Songs That Were Stolen. And my <laughs> guest today is singer and choir director Zoe Ellis. Hi, Zoe. Hey, Mark. Hi, friend. Glad you could make it. Thanks, me too. Cool. Me too. You know, sometimes when a song is, oh, illegally appropriated, it works mm. out. Like, uh, remember the remix of Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega? I sure, sure do. Because every club and every station, I believe that's her only hit on black radio, was the uh, Tom's Diner oh, remix. Oh, I believe that. I, yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, of course, now I want to go look that up. But right. I, yeah, let's just assume that's the truth. So that's, that's the case. It was the biggest hit yeah. of her career, and it got the way because uh, two GJs named DNA. As you know, GJs love acapellas. Yeah, they put, do. Put a new beat under it, released it illegally, and A&M was going to sue them until Susan Vega said, I like this. So yeah. instead of suing them, they put it out on A&M. Everybody yeah. got paid. And then she started making dance music. Her follow-up album, which is pretty cool, is uh, 99 Degrees Fahrenheit. And it's all right, like, I knew that too. And it's all like dance beats and cool rhythms, all because she got a spike in her career from, hey, maybe if I... She's not wrong. So basically, if you release an acapella or an instrumental, you're fair game to be nabbed. For mm. Even if you haven't released an acapella and the level <laughs> vocal, they'll lift it and this do something. This is true. I'm cool. I love it. Let it fly. Let it fly. Yeah. The, the song I Know You Know by the Staple Singers, it was their biggest hit called I'll Take You There. Sure. Number one, 1972. And that's all I knew for years because oh. I wasn't British. There was a big hit in England in 1969 called The Liquidator. And it's by a group called Harry J All Stars, and that I do is know this story. and that is the music behind that song. So essentially, Al Bell, Al Bell is a songwriter. Al Bell was also the vice president of Stax Records, right? And he wrote some lyrics, and he took into the studio with a copy of the Liquidator, and told the band make it work. You know, just to make it personal, if you don't mind, please. I do know the Liquidator. I am British. I am actually a British citizen. My mom is British. I know you don't know that about me, but I carry a British passport. Um, and I did know this story from years and years ago. I had completely forgotten it, which is kind of why I'm glad that I didn't hear your playlist for today, because I think I'm going to be surprised <laughs> and also probably feel better about myself, <laughs> knowing that I'm, I hopefully know at least half of the um, stolen tracks. But I did know that about The Liquidator, because it was... Big time. I was also deep into ska and oh yes, well kinds of stuff when I was younger. So yeah, that's crazy. They surely made it work though, didn't they? They really did. So mm -hmm. so now I'm gonna play for y'all the original. I'll take you there, which is Harry J. All Stars, The Liquidator.
was The Liquidator by Harry J. Allstars, the song that became I'll Take You There. And if you are in, I believe they still play that song before football matches. And I do mean British football matches for those uh, in America, mm-hmm. not, not soccer. That's the they round call- ball on the ground. <laughs> yes. That's what I, that is. The original football. Yeah. Because you are also American, you've watched American mm. TV. Yeah. And so you remember the days in which there were jingles for all of the commercials. I was just missing them the other day, actually. <laughs> like the theme songs, some of the Disney theme songs are like pretty good, but like, man, we had some really good ones. We did. So there's a guy named Jake Holmes who was a big jingle writer. He wrote things like, I'm a pepper. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, be all that you can be. So he was like number one. And he also was a singer-songwriter. And he wrote a song called Days and Confuse. In 1967, he played a gig with the Yardbirds when Jimmy Page was still in it. Jimmy mm. Page loved Days and Confuse and worked up his own version of it. The Yardbirds broke up before they could record it. So Jimmy Page brought it to his next group, Led Zeppelin and put his version of Dazed and Confused on Led Zeppelin's first album without giving any credit to Jake Holmes whatsoever. Can't do that, sir. Page had a habit of lifting songs and not giving people credit on Zeppelin albums. He's not alone. (laughs) He basically had like, I think, an entire chess records collection and went that song, that song, that song. I'll take them all in. So Jake Holmes eventually in 2010 got an undisclosed settlement from Jimmy Page. So now when you see it written, it says uh, Jimmy Page, inspired by Jake Holmes. And it only took 30-something years. Isn't that strange? Do you know the story about the Mick Jagger tune that his daughter told him that he had stolen from Katie Lang? Do you know that story? Oh, yes, but you can tell. Right? And that, like, well, just, you know, he wrote this song. He thought it was great. He played it for one of his adult children who literally didn't even look up from her phone or her book or whatever. I was like, Dad, that's a KD Lang song that's actually on the radio right now. You probably just heard it and you bit it and you don't realize it. He was like, it's not. Played them back to back and said, it is. And then just called KD Lang and said, hey, sorry, <laughs> I think I just wrote your song. Um, how about I give you half the publishing? She was like, Sure. Conversation over. We haven't even seen Katie Lang since then. She got publishing. Come on, a Mick Jagger tune. She's like, I'm out. <laughs> See, that's how it should be. I that's love, I know. love that story. All right, we're gonna play the original "Dazed and Confused" by Jake Holmes. I'm dazed and confused as it stays it go. Am I being choosed? Well, I'd just like to know. Give me a clue as to where I am at Feel like a mouse and you act like a cat I'm dazed and confused, hanging on by a thread I'm being abused, I'd be better off dead Can't stand this tease and I'm starting to crack You're out to get me your
And Crap. that was how Dazed and Confused first was released before Led Zeppelin took their version. And they did take some liberties, but come on, it's the same chord it's progression. It's the same song, yeah. I believe the, the Katie Lang song was Constant Craving. That's right. And, and he wrote... Has anybody seen My Baby? Something like that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's amazing when when Mick Jagger passes, all the cool things Mick Jagger did suddenly for people, for musicians, is all going to come out. Because he and Keith do a lot of like paying for bills of old bluesmen and taking care of business without oh, telling I anybody. It. I believe it. That's like Prince paying for all those families. Solar panels and things. Yeah. Violence and all kinds of things. He just goes and just quietly does his yeah. care. It's so yep. cool. I want to talk about a song that you may have heard of called The Choice Is Yours, revisited yep. by Black mm-hmm. Sheep. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, I want you to talk about the person who I want to discuss, Linda Tillery. Linda Tillery, the super, the wonderful, the awesome Linda Tillery. Um, Linda Tillery is born in the Fillmore, San Francisco, Bay Area, ride or die. She was one of the first, I want to say she was one of the first Bay Area women, like heavy duty in the rock and roll scene. And she has gone on to become what I like to think of as sort of the West Coast keeper of Black folk music. And I've been lucky enough to have a chair in her group, the Cultural Heritage Choir, for quite a few years now. And we do an entire educational performance that that takes you from the music as it lived in Africa and various parts of Africa and what happened to that music as it traveled across during the transatlantic slave trade and then how it changed as it moved across America. So you know who Linda is, which I think is important. She's really a Bay Area treasure. But going backward, um, Linda really put out some fantastic rock records. I mean, she was a powerhouse. I don't know if you ever saw her. I was not lucky enough to see her, but I've listened to those recordings. And I want to say that it was Rico Pabon, another fantastic Bay Area artist who's a MC, a spoken word, he's a poet. He's really just a phenomenal human being. And I believe he was listening to some of Linda's old stuff when he realized that there was a sample in the Black Sheep that was most definitely Linda's voice from one of her songs. And he went to Linda. Now, I hope I got that right, but Linda and Rico will let me know one way or the other. And I, that's okay. They'll give me license and forgive me if I'm wrong. But I do know that we figured out eventually that they had sampled Linda and she had not been paid for it, in fact. She didn't really get anywhere with the push to be recognized until, I think it was Toyota? Kia, I think, right? Was it Kia? With the hamsters? With the hamsters decided to use that song in a commercial. And then it was like yeah, everybody car- on deck to try to figure out how to get Linda car paid. Co- car companies want to get paid. Uh, so, yeah. So the song. So if you've heard The Choice is Yours, it's that background. Yeah. Come on. That comes through. All that mm-hmm. is Linda from the song. I'll say it again. And when That's I right, play it, it you will definitely hear. Oh, and not only is it clearly her, that runs through almost the entirety of the song. Woo, sir. So uh, it's as much of a hook as anything else. So I'm going to play Linda Tillery. I'll say it again.
And that was the song that The Choice Is Yours sampled from heavily without credit or clearance. <laughs> uh, Linda Tillery, I'll say it again. I think she went under the name Sweet Linda Divine. Divine, That's honey. Right. Sweet Linda Divine. There we mm-hmm. go. So if y'all could look for it, look for Sweet Linda Divine and make sure she gets her a point oh oh three cents from Spotify when you play That's it. right. That's right. It's amazing that you talked about how a song travels from Africa to America, because this is yeah. exactly the next thing I want to talk about. Cool. I believe a 100% of the people listening to this recording have heard the song, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Sure. And I bet almost no one knows how it got there. I, you know, I'm going to tell you, you right now, my parents owned the original vinyl. Get out! I We still have it. Get out of here. That's amazing. All right. So 1939, South Africa, there's a singer songwriter named Solomon Linda. It sure is. And he records a song called Mube, which becomes a massive hit in South Africa. Let me tell you why I know that already. Why do you know that? So my grandfather's second wife Mm -hmm. was South African. And a big chunk of our vinyl collection at home was traditional recordings of South African music. So I feel lucky to know that one because I don't know that I would have otherwise. I would just assume that it was the Wima way. And that's amazing. I mean, yeah, no, I got really lucky. Keep keep, keep in mind, like, I mean, I'm from the Bay Area. I don't think I even knew about South Africa to maybe 1980 as a a country or a history or a story. You know, yeah. Much- no, my whole family was kicked out of South Africa because they were anti-apartheid. And so they were, it was a complicated time, which I can tell you sometime when we're hanging out. But yeah, I'm really committed to my, um, to my knowledge of early South African recordings. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. We will come back to this offline. All right. So 10 years later, 1949, Pete Seeger of the Weavers records a folk version of this song because they heard it and because Alan Lomax gave it to them. And they call it Wimaway. Great. Minor hit. I mean, a big hit in the folk world. And then 1961, the Tokens put a doo-wop version and they add the lines in the jungle, the mighty jungle. And so they rename it The Lion Sleeps Tonight. That becomes a huge hit. Number one in America. Now, at this point, Pete Seeger is getting some of the copyright money, and Solomon Linda is getting none Nothing. of the copyright money. Because Whoa. international copyright law is tricky, and the music publishing industry is corrupt. Ta-da! In fact, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he doesn't get any money until 2006, because Disney had put it in The Lion King. And there was a documentary and there was some articles and there was enough international pressure for Disney and the publisher who owned the song at this point to start okay. paying money into Solomon Linda's uh, estate. So that, okay. so that only took, what, almost 70 years? Yay, it's, it's a happy ending. So, so we're going to play now the original, original, original version of The Lion Sleeps Tonight called Mube. By you had Solomon. to go back six generations just to get to this recording, <laughs> sir. Absolutely. We move it. 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 We move it.
original The Lion Sleeps Tonight by Solomon Linda. If anybody listening wants to hear the long version of this crazy old story, there is a wonderful Netflix documentary called Remastered The Lion Share. And it came out around 2019, so it's recent. And you can actually see and hear and feel and touch and taste all the craziness, the shoots and ladders version of uh, how the song, as you said, left Africa, went to America, and then things went immediately sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah. That's the only time that's ever happened. Yeah. All right. Here's some, here's some happy stuff. So All right. I was always amazed that New Order in America was on Quincy Jones's label. Oh, I'm absolutely sure I didn't know he that. Was, they're on Quest. So Quest had James right. Ingram and Patty Austin. Trip. And New Order. So you know their Christmas party must have been lit. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, but Quincy Jones has big ears. Quincy Jones, if you actually look at any of his solo albums, the number of like British names working on his label, yeah. on his albums, you know, he had he had brought Temperton from Heatwave write for him. First song on Quincy Jones is The Dude is I Know Corito. It was written and recorded by Chaz Jankel, mm-hmm. who was in, in During the Blockheads. And so for even Quincy to even know this, I mean, he was clearly listening to Europe. But apparently yeah. he they got signed to Quest because he heard Blue Monday and went, that's dope. Yeah. That's it. That was the only yeah. thing. This is danceable. I love this. Let's, and this is futuristic. Let's do it. Yeah. Now, Blue Monday famously was them getting a drum machine, messing around, trying to create some music so they could right. walk out and have, uh, on stage. And it accidentally ended up being the biggest 12-inch single in the history of uh, the UK. Now, here's one of the things they stole to make it. Oh, uh, dear. Yes. Oh, Mark. Mark, I'm not sure I should have come. I'm naming names. <laughs> Am I about to be upset? Mark? No, no, you're about to laugh. Okay, okay. There is a, a well-respected musician and broadcaster from Britain called C.P. Lee. Yeah. All right. C.P. Lee had a satirical rock group in the 70s called Alberto y los Trios Paranoias. They had a couple albums out. They're sort of like a Bonza Dog Doodah band kind of early tunes. <laughs> right. So he also, in 79, put out a satirical electronic synth-pop single under the name Jerry and the Holograms. Also, the song was called Jerry and the Holograms. Now, keep in mind, he is from Manchester. So is New Order. So when they were messing... Everybody with- was. All the music <laughs> for a while that was coming out of Manchester. It was, right? Yeah. yeah. So they basically nicked the vocal line and the bass line from this joke song to put on their, on their kind of jokey song. And again, they had no intention of doing anything but just having a goof. 
and it turns to be their song. Yes. From what I understand, he heard it and thought it was funny, which is good. He didn't sue him. So I'm going to play for you now Jerry and the Holograms by Jerry and the Holograms and see if you can hear how much New Order took for Blue Monday. was the Manchester-based Jerry and the Holograms, whose song Jerry and the Holograms was quite pilfered for Manchester's New Order's Blue Monday. You know, the thing about Manchester is it continues to produce good musicians. I, and I say that only because I, my songwriting partners for the bulk of a lot of the stuff I've written in the last 10 years actually live in a town called Altrincham, which is like a 20 minute little trolley ride outside of Manchester, but I lived in Manchester for a big stretch of time, like almost a year to be back and forth with them writing all the time. And the live music scene never stops in Manchester. There's just, there's something in the water. Maybe it's all that cotton we were shipping over to the industrial (laughs) Manchester to turn into clothing to ship back. I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's There's something so, in the water out there though, or in the air, in the cotton, maybe. maybe. Good music coming out of Manchester. There's still, there's some great music. My friend Kirk McElhaney is in up north. He's just one of the best singer-songwriters I've ever heard. Shout ever. out to Kirk. Come on, Kirk. That's amazing. You are the, actually the perfect person for this theme. I think I you, don't know how that happened, that right? <laughs> I'm so glad I'm surprised by all of this. I'm having so much fun. All right. This is another situation in which When somebody large wants to get involved, lawsuits get settled. Hey, come on now. All right. Back in the day, the day being 83, there was a loving anti-drug rap song called White Lines. And White Lines- One of my favorite songs ever. (laughs) Super dope bass line put down by Doug Wimbish, now in Living Color, just amazing. I just had to explain that song to my daughter. She's 14. The other day, we actually just talked about that song. I was like- Okay, anyway. That's it. Now, the bass line, which really doesn't make the song, was lifted from a song called Cavern by a band in New York called Liquid Liquid, same year, 1983. Dang it. I did not know that. 
Not only did they nab the bass line, but some of the lyrics as well. So where a uh, white line says something like a phenomenon, there's a line in the song called Slip In and Out of Phenomenon. I mean, you can definitely hear it. Mark. So I know. So Cavern so, was big in the clubs. And when the band first heard it being used in White Lines, they're like, oh, that's great, till White Lines became a big, huge, massive hit. And then they went to Sugar Hill Records, which put out White Lines. Right. Did I back announce it? White Lines, Melly Mel. Just make sure Melly Mel's name gets associated with this broadcast. 99 Records was Liquid Liquid's record label. They sued Sugar Hill Records for getting improper clearance. They won a $600,000 judgment against Sugar Hill. But Sugar Hill went out of business. Of course, I was going to say. To circumvent paying them any money. What's worse is that the lack of money killed 99 Records as well. So two labels died over this song. Wow. Now. That is quite a story. Yeah. And for that, let me play right now Cavern by Liquid Liquid, the song that became Melly Mel's White Lines. That was not White Lines by Melly Mel. That was Cavern by Liquid Liquid. Now, I don't know if you remember the Duran Duran covers album from a couple decades back. Yeah. Yeah. They covered White Lines. And when they got involved and Cap Records got involved, all the lawsuits got squashed. Because when you're a big international rock star with big company money, things get to happen. You just pay it out. You pay it out. In fact, yeah, that's the same as Linda, right? She got paid out mm-hmm. because an automobile company got involved. Yes. Yep. And mm. the band got back together. So there's footage of them, I think, on the Fallon show from relatively lately playing what sounds like White Lines, but really is Cavern. Um, and shout out to the original bass player, Richard McGuire, because that bass line is super dope. Simplest bass line in the world, super dope bass line. Wait, can I ask you a question since Please. we're here together? Yes. And maybe there's no crime involved, but I'm just going to ask this question. <laughs> Strawberry Letter 23. Yes. Is there a crime involved? Because it feels like the young man who made the song originally, though he was a bit of a recluse and didn't really want to be seen in public. And and even when we all found him again, remember when we found him again? And he started to come back out on the scene. uh, I was like, wait, 
did he get paid back then? I don't think I ever got that question answered. And I feel like you would know. My understanding is that Quincy Jones, because Quincy Jones produced the um, Brothers Johnson Brothers Johnson, version. yeah. From what I understand, Quincy Jones has certain things he does consistently. One, he will pay you top dollar to be his session person as long as you be or never, ever late to a session. Oh. So from my understanding, all of his legal and payment things are top-notch. I've never heard one story of anybody whose song he covered or had covered who did not get paid. Love that story. I actually, now see, now I want to know. Look what you've done, Mark. <laughs> I'm going to go find out if he got paid. He must have gotten paid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I'm interrupting That's all right. Show. No, it, 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 that's what this show was about. Tangents. Yeah. There all we of, go. I am tangential. There we go. <laughs> I want to talk about John Barry, who's a wonderful film composer. He composed 11 Bond film scores. Right. And he arranged, but did not compose uh, Dr. No, the first one. But he kept saying that he wrote the theme song. He said it so many times. Right. That, I do know this story. That Monty Norman, who wrote it, took him to court for libel. And even on in court, he kept saying, well, I kind of, you know, and eventually he admitted that he didn't. And it turns out that Monty Norman had written the James Bond theme based on another song he wrote earlier. But the, he wrote himself or yeah, that the other guy wrote. Uh, Monty Norman wrote the James Bond theme. Okay. John Barry did arrange it. Wonderful arrangement. He did not write it. And yeah. it was proved because Monty Norman pulled out the original recording. There was a 1961 novel called The House for Mr. Biswas that was written by V.S. Naipaul. Hope I get his name pronounced properly. Oh, my goodness. You know, he's, he's Indian. So he wrote, basically, Monty Norman wanted to take that book, which was popular, and turn it into a musical. Oh. The musical didn't work out, but he had this song called Bad Sign, Good Sign. And that riff, that James Bond riff, was initially on sitar. Oh, Which, that totally makes sense. Right? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Of course it was. Yeah, right. So now we're going to hear Monty Norman's Bad Sign, Good Sign, Whoa. which was the original uh, musical idea for the James Bond theme. That's dope. That's really cool. Unlucky sneeze And what is worse I came into the world The wrong way round Pundits all agreed That I'm the reason Why my father fell Into the village pond And drowned I was born Under a bad sign Love Trinidad said it was a bad sign Hindus and Chinese, Africans and Portuguese Everybody worry about my sneeze Achoo! Pundit said I had unlucky teeth With little gaps between That mean a boy is bound to lie and they said that I was born beneath the star of lechery and had a very evil eye. Nothing but bloody superstition. 
And that was Monty Norman's Bad Sign, Good Sign, which was the original piece of music that he then reinterpreted to write the James Bond theme. And so Monty Norman did the actual score for the first film, Dr. No, which is uh, OG Sean Connery. Do you know what year was the last year he did the? Of, uh, of uh, last year, John Barry did the score? Yeah. Let's find out in real time. Let's find out. While you're finding out in real time, I'll tell you. I got a favorite song, like 80s Bond tune. You want to guess what it is? You're going to know. Vita Kill. I don't know if that's the name of the movie. All I know is the name of the song. I'm, I'm not really, I'm not one of those people that got deep into Bond. I'm super fascinated by that. And you're British. I know, but I know. Well, not Connery. <laughs> but I, but I, no, but I was going to say, um, you know, we had a sitar hanging from the wall. Like that was an art, a piece of art in my parents' room. Like totally fascinated that that was originally sitar. I think that's cool. But no, the 80s Bond song that absolutely takes me out no matter what is License to Kill, Gladys Knight. Really? Oh, I love that song so much. I don't know what it is. It's the whole thing. It's the strings. It's everything. I That song just gets me. I I love the fact that I think License to Kill was the last one. I was going to say, did. I wonder if it's him because I bet it was. I think it was. Because the orchestration. That's yeah. what makes me think yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love how the Bond people have really gone way out of the way to get really interesting singers to do stuff. That? You know, how but, random is Gladys Knight? Or Jack White. You're right. You know, right. Chris Cornell, you yeah. know, I mean, which was a great song as well. Love it. Just, um, no, I, they, they really, I, I wouldn't have picked Duran Duran either. I, I like that song. So they really, uh, I mean, I'm sure part of it's just like, who's popular? And let's just write a great song for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, they hit it hard with that Gladys Knight tune, though. She sang that tune. Gladys. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about for our last song. That's it? I know, right? It's been three hours already. No. Um, I want to talk about the song that could not escape any speaker in the Bay Area, whether it was in a car or in a store, in a club. It was Snaps the Power. Right. Snaps the Power. This is a really bizarre story. So, again, it comes down to if you have an acapella, it will be used against your will. Right. 1990, again, two DJs get together with an acapella and make a song. They call yep. them, out of Germany, they call themselves Snap, and they can acapella from Chill Rob G, who was um, out of, I think, Jersey. Let the words flow. I don't know how they even got that. That's a, um, that, that was a deep cut. somebody's cousin was at somebody's <laughs> house party and saw their friend. And, but yeah, you there you go. Or like a, uh, an American GI was in. Europe, that's, that's how so many things yep. happen. So they get a bunch of different parts of songs together, make a mashup, put it out. Nothing's cleared. The song's mm-hmm. a hit. Mm-hmm. So Chill Rob G is on Wild Pitch Records in America. So they're like, come on, Chill Rob G, we should put this out. He's like, sure, okay, it's kind of my song, it's kind of not. So they put it out, the song called The Power. Well, Arista Records, if you remember at this time, was like deep in Millie Vanilli money and was super making dance music. So they wanted to put it out, but they can't put the same thing. So they re-record it, and they get another rapper, Turbo B, Mm. different background singer, and they put out The Power. Mm. So then Wild Pitch takes some elements from Arista's The Power 
remixes it into their version of the power and then re-releases a new version of the power. I believe they did this at least one more time. So there were two powers all based on the same song going back and forth. And as you can imagine, Wild Pitch is about, I don't know, comparative to uh, Arista. Yeah. Probably the size of the moon compared to the size of Jupiter. And mm-hmm. Arista won that fight. No kidding. That's so- fair. <laughs> I mean... Right. Yeah, but no one's really even heard. The All show- comes down to good lawyers. <laughs> good, good lawyers and, and good distribution. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to play the kind of original version of The Power uh-huh. by, okay. by Chill Rob G. Change your lyric, everybody's a critic It's getting kinda hectic, my rhyme is authentic So it shall remain, my writing exciting, never mundane In actuality, my personality keeps my mentality based on real Life situations, not speculations For verbal illustrations of how I feel Without substance or content You need to slow your speed, stop the nonsense These are the words of the rising sun Surprising some who thought I was just another humdrum I'll take a page, write a phrase and rephrase it Treat it like a national flag and upraise it So a nation of people can feel proud About a brother who speaks out real loud was one of the many, many versions of the power, probably the original, kind of, based on a reconstruction of the original by Chill Rob G and Not Snap, which is the one we all know. Mm. So there, we have come to the end of the episode. I feel like that was really quick. No, no, that was literally 75 hours connected. We had sleep breaks. There was intermission. (laughs) (laughs) Woke up with the graham crackers. No, it was was great. Fed the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Fed the cat many times. Hey, thank you for being on my show. I completely appreciate it. Mark, I hope you'll have me back. That was a great deal of fun. We can make that happen. Let me talk to my manager. (laughs) Oh, right. And I'll talk to mine. And hey, everybody, that is our show. Come back next week where we will unveil another fun theme. And please subscribe and comment on all of the areas by which you listen to this podcast. And thank you for sharing the podcast because people have told me that you've been sharing it. So thank you up front. And also check out my weekly YouTube show called Still Got It, where I review new music from vintage musicians and theme song by Spiky Blimp. And thanks. I'll see you next time.